But I want to talk about a question this morning. And questions play an important part in our lives. Sometimes they're issues that are of minor importance, but sometimes they're they're major. Sometimes, you know, and have to do with your education, your vocation, your location that you're going to live in, your marriage and so forth. And but the question I'm talking about this morning is the most important question that you can imagine. And the title of the message this morning is simply this, Are You a Believer? And by that I mean, are you a, a true believer? Are you a Christian? Are you one who has trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I, I didn't ask, are you religious? A lot of religious people. I didn't ask, have you been baptized? A lot of people depend upon that. I didn't ask if you are a church member. We've had a lot of church members that have been saved. I didn't ask if you're a good person. Some of the best people that I've known, helpful people, have been good neighbors. People that didn't even attend church. But they were really good neighbors. They were there if somebody needed them. But the question is, are you a believer? And uh, you can't afford to be wrong about your answer. You, you can be wrong about a lot of things, you know, and it's not any big deal. But uh, if you're wrong about this, uh, you've missed it all. I'm not talking about admiring Christ. If you talk to different religious denominations, so-called Christians even, there will be a lot of people that would say, well, yeah, oh yeah, we believe in Christ, and they, they admire him, or there are those that would consult his teachings. There are those that try to follow his example, those that would sing his praises, those that pray for his help. But that doesn't answer this question, because everything depends on whether or not you are a believer. There's not anything more simple than that, but there's nothing more serious than that. Turn to the most familiar verse in the Bible. You already got it, I'm sure. John chapter 3 and verse number 16. Being a believer has to do with who you believe. That's God and what you believe. That's the gospel. Here in this, in this setting, the Lord interacting with Nicodemus. I wish I had time to just talk about the whole story. But in verse 16, for God so loved the world. It's hard to get past those words, for God. I mean, that's a sermon in itself, for God. And then I can remember preaching an entire message on that little word, so. For God so loved the world. So loved. It's not just caring about it. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, if you go ahead and read through the remainder of the chapter, you'll see that word believer believeth over and over again. And he tells us in verse number 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already I don't think there's anyone here that could misunderstand what the Lord is saying here 
But believe me, there are a great many people who understand what the Lord is saying. That is, they, they can quote this verse. You can go from church to church and you can talk to the little kids. I, kids six, seven years old, they can all quote this verse. But when it comes to the matter of believing and what all it implies, it's a whole different thing. Notice the mind of God here toward the entire world. It says, for God so loved the world. Isn't that remarkable? And don't, listen, don't misunderstand. That doesn't mean that God is well pleased with the world. That's not what he's talking about there. Doesn't mean that God's going to ignore the sinfulness of the world or just arbitrarily forgive everyone. Some folks got the idea that he ought to do that. You know, since he's such a great God, that he, a loving God, why doesn't he just forgive everyone? Well, it's because God's holy and God is just. He, he can't do that. God is holy. God is just. Holiness is his chief attribute. He's holy, holy, holy. And being a holy God, sin has to be paid for. In fact, the Bible tells us that God is angry with the wicked every day. And yet he loves all mankind. You can't do anything to stop God from loving you. I know there's some preachers that disagree with that. But I know what the Bible says. He so loveth the world. That's, that's absolutely everyone. There's not a person here that God doesn't love. You try to imagine in your mind the very worst person that you've ever known. We think about what happened in Israel and how awful, how terrible, how horrible those people are. And the things they did to little children and women is unbelievable. But don't you ever forget, God loves those people and God would and could save them if they believe. That's the whole problem. That's why they are what they are, is because they've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. So the mind of God toward all of the world is that of love. I've often said the thing that was the most shocking thing I heard when I started going to church was Romans 5, 8, because I knew me. I knew what I was. I knew, I knew how sinful that I was. I didn't see how anybody, I wouldn't blame anyone for not liking me. I didn't like me. But whenever I heard Romans 5, 8, God commendeth his love toward us even while we're yet sinners. You imagine the worst sins that you've ever committed. The, listen, the worst things you've ever thought about. Because a lot of you think, if I don't do it, it's okay. As long as I think about it. The very thoughts of our heart are sinful toward God. And you imagine the very worst things possible. And yet God loves you. Notice his mercy. It says that he gave his only begotten son. There's a song that says, and I know they mean well about God searching through heaven and he couldn't find one willing to die. 
God wasn't searching anywhere for a Savior. God determined, decreed that he himself would be our Savior. God took upon himself the form of man and, and came, notice, gave his only begotten Son. This is the manifestation of God's love. He spared not his own Son, but delivered him. You know, it's one thing for God to proclaim his love and another thing for God to prove it. God did both. He didn't just make an exclamation, you know, I love you. He gave the evidence. The evidence was Jesus hanging there on that cross. That was the evidence. He was, he was the sacrifice for our sins. He was our, our Savior from sin. Thank God for His mercy that withholds the judgment that we deserve. And when we talk about this matter of the, of the love of God, we're not talking about some far-off abstract idea of mercy. We're talking about something that is down to earth that's manifested by a mighty gift that has been given, a price that has been paid. It's not just that, well, God is so good that He's willing to forgive us. There had to be a price paid as much as God loved us. And the only way God could ever have a relationship with us other than the creature and the creator is for him himself to come down to earth. Doug Oldham sang a song. In fact, all the years of listening to Doug Oldham, I'd never heard it until some months ago. And I hope I get this right. But it was that for him... For us to become like Him, He had to become like us. Think about that. For us to ever become like Him, He had to become like us. And that's what happened when Jesus was born there in Bethlehem's manger. That's what happened. God became man and suffered as man. And paid the price for our redemption. But notice the means. All, all of that. We can talk about that and it's wonderful. We ought to sing about that. Thank God for His mercy. For His grace. His love for each and every one of us. But without these next words. Uh, uh, we wouldn't have the whole story. Notice the means to everlasting life. He says that whosoever believeth. In Him, the Bible's clear that salvation is available to all those that believe. That's really simple, isn't it? Oh, but what does it mean to believe? Because evidently, there are a lot of folks that have made a profession of faith. They acknowledge the accuracy of the historical facts. We believe Jesus was born of a virgin, so on Christmas we celebrate. We believe Jesus died. We believe he rose again. We celebrate that. We sing about that. A lot of folks that acknowledge all of those facts that just as lost as they can be. Because it's one thing to know all of the facts and to quote all of the facts. It's another thing to really believe. 
Well, what does it what does it mean then if that's not enough? It means that we embrace something to be the truth. It means that we receive something that has been offered. And in this case, God has offered eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 1, it says, As many as received Him to them gave you the power to become the sons of God. So believing in Christ is a willingness to receive Him as your Lord and as your Savior. Embracing the truth of the fact as to who He is and what He did. The Bible really makes it simple by giving us some examples of what it means to believe. And, and, and the first one is right here. Look at verse number 14. And this is a conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus. And he says, verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Does that ring a bell? Of course it does. You remember whenever the serpent was lifted up, the Lord told him to make a servant of brass, lifted up. And whoever looked on that serpent would be delivered, be spared from judgment. He didn't say each one of you have to make your own serpent. He didn't say you have to climb the pole. He said all you, all you got to do is look. You, you can be a quarter of a mile away. And if through trusting what God says, you look. And you think about the blood applied to the door. And the firstborn being spared. Apply the blood to the door. And I'll pass over you. I mean, these are simple, simple things. And that's, but they're illustrations of what believing is all about. Receiving, coming, looking, laying hold of, as Paul says over in Hebrews, eating. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. You eat of this bread and you'll, you'll hunger no more. You'll never be hungry again. I don't know about you, but the day that I took of that bread, that is of the Lord Jesus Christ, I placed my faith in Him from that very day. I've never been I've never been hungry for salvation since then because He filled me up. He fed me. He, didn't He say you'll hunger no more? Oh, I, I have a hunger to be more holy, to be more like Him. But there's no desperation for me to be saved because the Lord supplied exactly what I need. Think about taking a drink of water. And that's exactly... One of the illustrations Jesus said to the one, well, you drink of this water. Speaking of himself, you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ gives you absolutely everything you need to satisfy the longing in your soul. Brother Ken has been preaching from Ecclesiastes and about man's search for satisfaction. And you never find it until you get to that point in your life that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice the miracle here of, of the new birth. He says that we should not perish but have everlasting life. Now I'm using that word miracle because that's something that only God can do. 
And regardless of how long or how hard we try, we can't ever save ourselves. But the moment we believe, now think about this, the very second that you believe, and I'm fully convinced that day in the Community Baptist Church when the invitation was given, the very, I, I believe before my foot ever hit the aisle that I had been born again. I, I, know, I know the custom was to respond to the invitation and you go down there and you, and you ask the Lord to save you. You tell the Lord I'm trusting you to save me. I was trusting him the minute I headed in that direction and God knew it. I made a public profession whenever I got down to the altar. I'm saying it's a miracle that God saves us that because we're forgiven, pardoned. We're justified. Think of all of the different words that could be used associated with salvation. One of my favorites is to, to be accepted. Because until we've been born again, we're not accepted. Jesus tells us that in chapter number 3. We are condemned already. In our unbelief, we are condemned. Some folks got the idea, well, you know, someday I'm going to die and I'll go to heaven and and uh, God will weigh my good works against my bad works or whatever and see, maybe I'll get in. Look, I'm not asking if you're a hope-so Christian. I'm not asking if you're a think-so Christian. A lot of people say, you ask them to say, well, I think, I think so, or I, or I hope I am. And, and I hope you're not one of those chance-takers. Well, I'm just going to take my chances. I remember my daddy used that excuse for a lot of years. He had gone to church, was offended by what he saw at the church. And his answer was, I'm just as good as anybody. And the fact of the matter is, morally, he was just as good or better than, than most of the folks down there, in a sense. He'd say, I'm just as good as they are. If they're going to heaven, I, I guess I'll go too. Finally, thank God, his eyes were opened. He realized that being better than those people down at the church wasn't going to help you one little bit. Amen. I'll never forget him laying in the hospital bed and me there with him that day. And after praying to the Lord, the prayer didn't save him, but after making a profession of faith. He looked up to me with tears in his eyes. Daddy didn't ever cry, but he had tears in his eyes. And he got a smile on his face. And he said, I, if I knowed it was so simple, he said, I got saved a long time ago. It's a miracle that any of us could be saved. You know, again, I, I, I look out here on folks that I love and even look, think about some of my own children that if they had died, I, I would have thought they would have gone to heaven. I really would have. Oh, you don't know how me and Bev, maybe you do, prayed when Jason was in Iraq and Afghanistan, bombs falling. Oh, how we prayed. If he got blown all to pieces over there, 
our first thought would have been, well, thank God we'll see him again. No, we wouldn't. No, we wouldn't. He would have been in hell because he had never truly been born again. He's great kid, good kid, but lost. Thank God that the Lord opened his eyes. And that, that the same thing basically could be said of a great many of you here this morning. When you say, preacher, you got me a little bit confused. I, how, how can I know whether or not that I've really truly been born again? I, well, the very fact that, that you don't know is the thing that concerns me. If you're wondering, how can I know? That tells me that maybe you're not too sure about the fact. The Bible, especially 1 John, gives us several different keys that, of evidence that a person has been saved. It talks about us withdrawing from our sinful ways, worshiping God in spirit and truth. We do the works that are characteristic of Christ. There's a willingness to please the Lord Jesus Christ. The wholesomeness of life and, and, and there's the witness of the Spirit. That's the one that seems like everybody forgets about. You know, the Bible tells us the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. I've often said you could take this Bible and you could burn it to where I could never read it again. But there's no way I, that I would ever not know that I'm saved because the Spirit of God bears witness with my spirit that I have received the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you are a believer, you ought to behave like a believer. But the sad thing is we've got a lot of, we actually got in the world today a lot of unbelieving believers. I'm talking about in the sense that they acknowledge all of the, all of the facts. They would, they would admit that they want to go to heaven when they die. But there's absolutely none of the characteristics of what it means. You see, if you're alive this morning, you have certain vital signs, right? Put your hand on your heart. and If you don't feel it beating, raise your hand and we'll get you help. There's vital signs. And the same thing's true spiritually. We're not saved by our good works and what have you, but our works, according to the Bible, testifies to the fact that we have indeed trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're not a believer, let me ask you another question. Would you please tell me why? Why is it that you're not a believer? Why is it that you've not received Christ as your Savior? Do, do, you, really, do you really feel in, in your own heart, being honest about it, do you really feel like that you're not a sinner in the sight of God, that you're good enough that, that you're going to make it through, it's going to be all right, Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt 
that you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior. First John 5, 10. John said, he that believeth not hath made him a liar. Are you listening? I thought about, and I may in the weeks ahead preach about the, the greatest sin. Well, we can think of all these different horrible, terrible, awful sins, can't we? You know, the worst of all of it is unbelief, not believing, not believing. You know what you're saying? You're saying, God, you're not trustworthy. Oh, I know know Jesus died on the cross and all of that. But in reality, you're saying that God isn't trustworthy and you're refusing to trust him. And in many cases, it shows because there's no characteristics. If you're here today, as I said earlier, you're dying. You're dying right now. None of us know whether we're going to make it home or not. Oh, we we think we are. I even know I even know when I get there what what I'm going going to eat. Bev may be laid out, but she hasn't forgot how to cook. She can't get up and do other things, but she can sure do some coaching and get everything. And but I don't know if I'll make it home or not. You don't either. What if God today? What if God today decided that this is your time to die? This is your last opportunity to ever receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. What would you do? And this is, I'm not saying this to insult you, but I think you'd have to agree with me. We'd be a fool to walk out that door not knowing whether we're going to heaven or hell. And we can pretend all we want among ourselves. We can fool each other, but we don't fool God. He knows. He knows those that belong to Him. Are you among that number? That's the question. Whosoever believeth, that's the most simple thing that the, if the Lord had said, if you'll do 100 push-ups and I, I could do it back then, I'll save you. Oh, I'd have been stressed, but I could do it. The Lord said, you've got to do this or that, but I might have been able to do some of those, but none of those things would ever save me. Why? Because it takes the blood, the shed blood of Christ Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Jesus didn't just die on the cross. His blood, His life-giving blood was shed for you and for me. Let's bow our heads together. Brother David and the musicians are going to come. Before we even start singing, if you're here right now and you don't know you'd go to heaven, Brother Kenneth is right down here. If you're not certain you would go to heaven, would you right now, even before we start singing, just get up out of your seat.
Come tell Brother Kenneth. I need to, I need to be saved. Please don't put it off. Don't wait. There'll never be a better opportunity and there might never be another opportunity. While we stand and as we sing, you come.